Pastor Appreciation Sunday was always one that, uh, think back to when it was uh, Pastor Tom and I in the office, and we'd always know that Sunday was coming, and it's like, all right, <laughs> we'll do what we got to do, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I was challenged at our, at our pastor's retreat um, a couple weeks ago, um, the command from Jesus to love one another, and, and uh, part of what we were looking at was how that's a two-way street, you know, to love one another. So in that is the challenge for me to show love to others, be loving toward others, but along with it is being loved, you know, if it's going to truly be loving one another. And so, um, so I, I need to work, something I can work on, and maybe you find yourself in that too, of allowing ourselves to be loved by others. So I had a different perspective this morning. I wasn't just going along with it, but uh, I want to truly allow myself to be loved by you all, and I appreciate how, and it's not just today. You show it all year, but, uh, but I really do appreciate that. And um, Yeah, so as we get into our, our sermon for today, if you remember last week, we, we began our current sermon series entitled Renew Your Mind, and of course that phrase and the thrust for the series comes uh, from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that we studied last week. So just kind of as a quick refresher of that sermon, Paul began Romans chapter 12 by, by stating that in light of God's great mercy shown toward us, that we ought to offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices, that that's, that's our logical response to him. And we do that through our knowledge of and submission to his will. And then we saw in, in those verses as well, we gain a knowledge of that will, not, not as we are conformed to the ways of the world or the ways of the age, but we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Our minds are renewed when we focus upon God and focus upon his words given to us, his truth for us, especially what is given in the Bible. And so in order to renew our minds, we must allow God's words to shape how we think. And that's the goal over these next few weeks. We set the foundation last week, now we're going to start into six different topics. We want to take these various topics, we want to open ourselves to what God says to us in his word about them, especially when what he says differs from the knowledge of the age, knowledge of the world. And so we're going to get into things like rights and politics and, and identity and value of personhood and all those things. Today, the first topic we're diving into is sexuality. Now, before we get into the, uh, the meat of the sermon, I want to, uh, there's just a couple things I want to say to get us on the same page moving in the same direction. So first, everything that I'm going to say this morning is predicated on the belief and the acceptance of the fact that God is the creator who has created mankind. Um, if there is an inability or if there is an unwillingness to, to believe that, then nothing that I'm going to say in my sermon will matter much to you. I'm just going to be upfront. It all comes from that foundation of God as creator. So, so what this means is that I'm not speaking this morning to those who don't believe that God exists. 
I'm not speaking to those who, who believe that mankind evolved from lower life forms through natural processes. I'm speaking to those of us here today who accept God as creator, as presented to us in the Bible. I'm speaking to those of us who believe ourselves as individuals to be God's creation. Um, and even if, you aren't, if you're here today and you're like, well, I'm just not quite sure about those two things, if you're willing to go along with me this morning in order to hear what I have to say, then, then I, I think you can find some benefit as well. But, but it's benefit that's only going to last as long as God is accepted as creator. Okay, it, all, it all comes from that. So um, I, I should say too, if, if, if you and I are looking for ammo today to go use on someone who doesn't believe in God in order to win a debate regarding sexuality, you aren't going to find what I say useful. It, it, it's, just, it's not going to be useful for that. Our goal is not to win the debate. Our, our goal is to have our minds renewed so that we might submit ourselves to God in this area. And then the other thing I wanted to say as we get started... Um, I'll sometimes hear statements made which, which view our present age to be one that is so much worse than previous ones as it pertains to sexual immorality. Uh, we can be tempted to look around ourselves and assume that, that things have never been quite like they are now. Um, to think that way is to be ignorant of history. I, I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but, but that's ignorant of history to think that way. There are plenty of studies done on societies throughout history that would reveal to us that the same things we're dealing with today have been present since the fall of mankind. Go back to Genesis 3. That's where it started. We might be facing things in different ways than previous times, but but the basic temptations and the false views of sexuality are not new. They're not new to us. That, that incorrect understanding of history can cause us sometimes to look at the words of the Bible and, and assume that they aren't relevant for our context. Uh, we can fall into the temptation of thinking that, well, the writers were writing to people dealing with different things than we are, but, but, but it's just not the case. The temptations are the same. They've been the same throughout history. And along those same lines, we... we We can't view ourselves as more intellectually advanced or enlightened in terms of our sexuality than generations that have come before us. We we haven't gotten to some place where where we've risen above what the Bible states regarding sexuality. We're we're not there. We're not ever going to get there. Um, So all that to say, the things that God wrote to his people in their context, they apply just as much to God's people today in our context. So those are kind of the two disclaimers as we dive in this morning. So let's get into it. Renewing our minds in the area of sexuality. Um, If you look at the sermon notes, you you can see I've written down what I believe are the three most common statements that our society makes regarding sexuality. Most beliefs, most attitudes can fall into one of these three categories. So, So first off, the first one, let's renew our minds regarding the common statement that, that sexuality, how I live out my sexuality, is only a personal decision. In other words, it's my body, if I, you know, what I choose to do with it doesn't matter, so long as everything is consensual. That's, that's uh, the, the statement, one of the statements of our fallen age. If our sexuality was something that we created ourselves, then maybe that statement holds water. 
if our sexuality was something that evolved through physical means, maybe that holds water. But what we see in the first pages of the Bible is that neither one of those situations is the case. Neither one of them is reality. So look with me at Genesis chapter 1, where we are given the source for our sexuality. Chapter 1, verse 27, starting there, says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. <clears throat> so, so we're picking up the story there on the sixth day of creation. God has already created earth and sky and sun and moon and plants and animals. and He then creates mankind as the pinnacle of his creation. But we aren't just the pinnacle. We aren't just you know, set above creation as God's favorite. We, we, are, we are made in his image. We're made in his image. We are the very reflection of God. Now, now we're going to be back here to explore that more in depth in, in the coming weeks, especially as we talk about identity and value of personhood. Um, but for this morning, we, we just want to note that we are created by God in his image, and, and God then gives instruction. And part of those instructions for Adam and Eve was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Now, person might say, yeah, but go back to day five. God said the same thing to the birds. He said the same thing to the sea creatures. He told them to be fruitful, multiply. So what, what makes mankind and, and their sexuality any different from the, the animals that are told to reproduce as well? Well, for that, we turn over to Genesis chapter two. So after God had brought all the animals before Adam, after not a single one was found that was suitable, a, a suitable companion for him, he created Eve. And when he brought Adam and Eve together into the very first marriage relationship, this is what we read, chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now this statement which God made was to be normative regarding marriage for the rest of mankind, for the rest of history. This was not just something that he spoke to Adam and Eve that only applied to them. It can't be. I mean, why would he talk about father and mother? Adam and Eve had no father and mother other than God himself creating them. So this has to be a statement that is meant to apply to more than just Adam and Eve. It's meant to be normative for all the rest of history as it pertains to marriage. In this statement, we see that mankind's sexuality is meant not only for the purposes of reproduction, but to unite two people together. Two previously separate people became one flesh together as the result of this God-given, God-created gift. And it all takes place within the marriage covenant. When you read through the Bible, you find numerous places that God created this marriage covenant in order to paint a picture of his own relationship with his people. So you see it uh, at Mount Sinai, 
in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Uh, you see it in Ezekiel chapter 16 where, where things go south, you know, where, where God laments the adultery of his people as seen through their idolatry. Um, Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 5. At the end of the Bible, we, we, we see the great wedding feast between the Lamb, um, and Jesus, and his people in Revelation chapter 19. Human sexuality is not something God created us with simply, simply for reproduction and or pleasure. There, there's more to it than that. It is a God-given desire which reveals to us the passion of relationship that he has for his people, for his bride. When we view, when we view sexuality, when we view sex as a personal decision, which can be practiced outside of a marriage covenant, we are turning a blind eye to its purpose. We're setting ourselves up as the creator rather than submitting ourselves to the true creator. This, this one flesh bonding is meant to foster the deepest of relationships between humans. The relationship within the marriage covenant is meant to be the deepest experience between man and woman. And that deep relationship in which sexuality is a bonding agent is, is but a taste of the relationship God desires with his people. It's meant to point us to that, to show us that. Now, as I said earlier, th- th- this argument doesn't matter to someone who's not a disciple of Jesus. Right? It won't matter to someone who doesn't see God as creator and savior. But for those of us who are God's people, we must renew our minds by humbly accepting the fact that we did not create our sexuality, and so it is not ours to define in whatever way we decide. God has decided that sexual activity belongs only within a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, and so we must submit to him in that. Our sexuality is is a matter of obedience before God. So when the statement of, of the age or of society is that, well, it's only a personal decision, nope, it is not. It is not because of our creator God, because it is a gift he has given to us. Another statement that, uh, that, that can be made is that our sexuality is nothing more than physical. It's just physical. Sexual acts are nothing more than physical acts. Well, because our sexuality is God created and God given, we already see that there's a spiritual aspect to it. It was created by our spiritual God But in addition to that, our sexuality cannot be separated from relationship and from emotions. It can't. Now, I guess a quick caveat here. You could argue that nothing which we do is is solely physical. Nothing. Because we are beings comprised not just of body, but body and soul together, we cannot perform a solely physical act of any kind. Everything has ramifications in the spiritual realm of our souls. Uh, uh, Jesus speaks toward this in Matthew 25 when, when he talks about, well, when you feed a hungry person, that, that's an act of love toward me. Right? It's a physical act, and yet there's spiritual ramifications to it. And he talks about storing up treasures in heaven, right? Doing things with physical money has spiritual implications. There, nothing that we do is, is solely physical, 
And so all that to say our sexuality is not solely a physical reality either. In fact, the way in which sex between a husband and wife is described in the Bible speaks of deep relational and emotional connections. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. The wording of the, in the ESV is so good. We're told that Cain was born after Adam knew Eve. Now, obvious in that statement is the physical act, but equally communicated is the intimacy and the relational vulnerability that takes place. They knew each other, right? It speaks of this fact that there's, it's not just physical, that there's, there's emotional and relational there as well. Our, our sexuality drives us to places of intimacy and vulnerability, openness with our spouse that we don't go to with other people, that we're not supposed to go to with other people. And God created it that way. I mean, I, we said it already. The marriage relationship is meant to reflect the relationship between God and his people. Sexual int- intimacy between a husband and wife is meant to reflect the deep intimacy between God and his people. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2 really, really speaks of this in a, in a, uh, a powerful way. So let me read to you. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is Solomon speaking to his son. It says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So Solomon's warning his son about the forbidden woman, the adulteress, who uh, took sex outside the marriage covenant. But it wasn't just the marriage covenant that she forgot. I mean, he says that, forsakes the companion of her youth, but, but he goes on and he ties it back into the spiritual component. Says that she forgets the covenant of her, uh, covenant of her God. She forgot her covenant relationship with God. Our sexuality cannot be separated from relationship. It's never strictly physical. This is why why lust and the actions that it leads to is a false knockoff of true sexuality. Lusting after a person seen especially in in pornography or sleeping around or, or coercion, their efforts to make our sexuality into something purely physical. But try as we might, it can't be done. It cannot be done. It's not how God created it. We can sear our conscience. We can bury deep within ourselves any feelings of emotion in relationship, but that's only burying the truth about our sexuality. It's only proving the point that those things exist and we have to push them way down deep and try not to, try not to feel them or experience them. God created our sexuality sexuality to be more than only physical, and it is so much more than that because he created it that way. So that false statement from our fallen age doesn't hold water either. It's never just a physical act. And then finally this morning, and, and a person might argue this is the loudest statement made by our society today, by fallen society throughout history, Sexuality can be seen as only a response to our natural desires. Now again, going back to what we said earlier, our sexuality is God-given, God-created. So if we were free from sin, 
then the natural sexual desires that we have would always be good and would always lead us into good. But we don't live in that world. We live in a world that is not free from sin, nor are we ourselves free from sin. Now, most times, uh, when you do a study on a topic in the Bible, you have to go to various passages to get the overall picture of, of what the Bible is saying. Uh, it's not like an encyclopedia where you just look up the word or the topic and everything you need is, is right there in that page or two. It's a collection of divinely given stories and sayings and prophecies which do cover many different topics, but, but at times can be scattered throughout the text. Well, when it comes to our fallen nature, what, what theologians call total depravity, we're blessed by Paul already having done much of the work for us. So if you turn with me to Romans chapter 3, Paul compiled statements from Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah about our total depravity, and he put them all in one place. So listen as I read what he compiled. This is Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, and here he gives all these biblical statements, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, sin has tainted everything. It has tainted and broken everyone and everything. And it's not just that sin messed us up just a little bit. We are utterly broken apart from Christ. That is who we are. All of our good desires and inclinations and characteristics which God gave to us have been marred. We're totally depraved. Jeremiah says in uh, Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. It's a good summary there by Jeremiah. That's who we are as fallen human beings apart from God. So what that means is we cannot look within ourselves to find any holy, trustworthy guidance on anything. But that also includes sexuality. Because every one of us has a fallen sin nature. Every one of us struggles with sinful temptations regarding our sexuality, your pastor included. All of us are in that boat. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking uh, about the song. Um, a dozen years ago, Lady Gaga released the song, Born This Way. If you haven't heard it, that's fine. <laughs> uh, in that song, she, she spoke about how every person's been created by God, every detail um, about us is on purpose, and then by extension, she reasoned that everything about us is to be celebrated because of that. 
And the reason that the lyrics of, those, of that song uh, are so deceptive is because they're partially correct. She's partially correct. We are created by God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God makes no mistakes, as Lady Gaga proclaims in that song. But while her theology of creation isn't too bad, her theology of total depravity is non-existent. Doesn't exist. She fails to recognize that, that who we are apart from Christ is God-created people who are thoroughly broken. The good qualities and desires that we've been given by God have been marred by our sinful nature. When God created mankind as sexual beings in the Garden of Eden prior to sin, it was a wonderful existence. No further instructions were needed other than be fruitful, multiply, become one flesh. That's all that was needed in an existence apart from sin. That's all that was needed for two people who did not yet have a fallen nature. But once sin came onto the scene, our broken sexuality began to be expressed in a myriad of broken ways. And this required numerous statements in both the Old and New Testament to confirm to us the brokenness of those desires. So Leviticus chapter 18 is one of the places where some of these statements are made. Incest, adultery, Polygamy, homosexuality, bestiality are all said to be abominations to God. Rape, prostitution, licentiousness, they're they're spoken of similarly in other places. They're not brought up in that chapter specifically, but but other places they are. Every one of those acts are, are generally performed from a place of passion and desire. But because mankind's passions and desires are broken, they lead us into things that are not holy and not pleasing to God. They can lead us into things that are abominations to God, as Scripture declares. Now again, this argument can't be made with someone who does not recognize God as the creator, who has set the standard of holiness. A person who doesn't believe that they are born depraved with a functioning sinful nature won't care about anything I just said. They see sexuality not as something to be redeemed by God, but rather as something which is already pure and and ought to be celebrated in all its forms. But for the people of God, we must rightly recognize our sinful nature and the effects of our sinful nature. We must recognize that every one of us has broken sexual desires. We were born that way. (laughs) That's how we were born. And we must rightly recognize that Christ died to set us free from those desires, that we no longer have to live in them and be slaves to them. Paul's statements in Romans 3 um, about no one being righteous apart from God, they're, they're kind of depressing. I mean, he just keeps going. You know, he's speaking truth, but it's hard truth to read, isn't it? Because we know it's true. But Paul then goes on to say, in Romans 6 specifically, that in Christ we are no longer slaves to unrighteousness. We've been set free from all that Paul talked about in chapter 3. I mean, what a, great, what a great cause for joy, isn't it? That we can be set free, that yeah, we're broken, but we don't have to stay broken. Now, I don't, 
I don't know the exact ways that, that sexual brokenness has shown itself in your life, but whatever it is, we're all in need of forgiveness from God. We all need that. And that forgiveness is available to all of us, every single one of us. Know that you can go to Jesus and find mercy and freedom in all areas, but, but this area as well. His blood covers my brokenness, covers your brokenness in all areas, but this area as well. When God performs his work of redemption in our lives, when he does his sanctifying work throughout our lives, that includes our sexuality. So as God's people, we ought to open ourselves to God's work of renewing our minds in this area so that we might be led into submission to God's will in this area. Society has plenty to say to us, but it's not in line with what God has for us. And so our minds need to be renewed. I wanted to, I wanted to close this morning by, by speaking to our young people. You know, for those of us who are older, you know, the, the, the false statements that you younger people are hearing today, it's the same false statements that we've been hearing throughout our generation, it's the things that have been proclaimed throughout history, that you're not dealing with something new as far as that goes. But what I think is unique, what is unique for younger generation now is, is the loudness and the boldness and the, the firmness with which society is making these statements. And any disagreement with these statements is not just seen as disagreement, it's seen as hatred. It's seen as oppression, it's seen as bigotry. And so, so there's two things I wanna encourage, encourage especially you in the younger generation with, in this context. And the first, I wanna encourage you, stay grounded in God's word. Stay grounded there, filter everything that you hear through this. And this applies for every topic, but, but especially the one this morning. Everything has gotta be filtered. The Bible's the clearest picture of reality that you're ever gonna find anywhere. Allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind through God's words. Gotta stay grounded in God's words. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, it is so important how the church responds to the present context in which biblical truth is seen as hatred or, or bigotry or oppression. We, 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 the church body as a whole, we need you, younger generations, in our effort to respond rightly. We need you. We need you to be active and involved in this area. We need to be renewing our minds together in this. The will of God for our sexuality is good, and it's acceptable, and it's perfect, just like Paul states in Romans 12 too. So let's be united together as we pursue not just a correct understanding of that will, that's part of it, but a humble obedience to it as well. I said last week, God's will is not just to be known and understood, but to be submitted to. 
So let's be united in that, and let's also be united in our desire to see those separated from God, those who really don't care about anything that I just said. Let's be united together in our desire to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they can then find redemption and restoration in all areas of life, including sexuality, as we've been talking about this morning. It's a weighty topic. It's a weighty topic in our culture. I think all the topics we're gonna be talking about are are weighty ones. May God be renewing our minds in all these areas. Would would you stand together with me? Let's, Let's come to God in prayer and and do so humbly, asking that he'd be working in us in this area. Father, we are, we are a group of broken people apart from you. There's just no getting around that. That's how we're born. But I praise you, I praise you that there is restoration and redemption in you. Through your work on the cross, we do not have to stay broken. That does not have to be our destiny. God, that you bring healing to us. We're so grateful for that. I thank you for the wholeness that you bring. And God, this area specifically of sexuality is, is, a, is a contentious one in our culture today. Would you be renewing our minds? Would, you, would your truth sink deep within us? God, that when we hear these different messages from our fallen age, that we, would, that we would know the truth, that we would be grounded in the truth, that we'd be able to, to brush off the false statements that they might not sink in within us. God, and help us to treat others well in this. We know that the truth of sexuality only makes sense in you. And so would you give us an increased passion to see those who don't have faith in you come to to have that, come to be your son and daughter. God, that's the only place true healing and, and a renewed mind is going to be found. So would you help us in that? Would you give us not just words of the gospel, but that we would live that out with our actions God, we want to bring honor to you in all that we do. We want that to be true in our sexuality as well. So would you be drawing us close? Would you be renewing our minds that we might live according to your will for us, a will that is good and acceptable and perfect? We pray all this in your name. Amen.